Reverend Willard has left our service of worship to go and be the preacher in our junior worship service for the fourth and fifth graders that is now beginning over in the annex. And I ask, please, if you will turn in your Bibles, whether you be here in the sanctuary or at home listening to the radio broadcast, to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And there I will read for you the Word of God as we begin at the first verse. And before we read, may I remind you that God always, always blesses his word. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive his commendation from God. Amen and amen. According to my Britannica research, the Romans started it. Yes, during the time of their expansive and exciting empire, they started it. The English people, English-speaking people didn't have much to do with it before 1700. But by 1850, it seemed most every family was doing it. I guess that's how it got to America. But we, most of us, not all, but most of us still practice that same unique, wonderful thing of having three names on our birth and baptismal certificates. Three names. You follow the Roman way of interpreting. Pre-Nomen, that's your first name. Nomen, that's the second name or family name. Cognomen, that's supposed to be the surname. You have, if you have three names, a pre-Nomen, a Nomen, and a co-Nomen. And oh, how differently we react to how we want people to treat those names. I know some people, some of them even in this church. They love their three names. And whenever given the opportunity, they use all three in every syllable of every word. 
And some of them are very beautiful. When the names come forth, it sounds like the lilt of a Portuguese sonnet. Or some of them have such resounding names that it sounds like a Russian symphony. And they let you know, whenever possible, all three names in their entirety. And then I know some other people who I think would die on the spot if anybody knew either their praenomen or their nomen. It costs money to have your cognomen changed, and most of us are too cheap to do that, so we put up with it. But the praenomen and nomen, my. I'm sure you've known somebody 25, 35, 40 years, and still you don't know what that initial stands for. By the way, the A in my nomen is Addison. Richard Addison Morledge. I know some of you have made the A stand for something else, but it's Addison. And some of you people who are members of this church. In recent years, as a part of the first adult membership class, Mrs. Kennedy, our excellent administrative secretary, asks you to fill out a form with your total God-given baptized names, because we have to have them for the official record of the church, and you'd be surprised how some of these otherly pleasant, pleasing potential Presbyterians procrastinate and protest and will do everything in their power not to write down that thing. We react differently to the three names that most of us carry on our baptismal and our birth certificate. Now, those are not the three names, though, I want you to think about today. I want you to think about the three names you also are called. One of those is a set of names that is called by other people of you. You realize other people call us names, and I don't care who you are, how old you are, where you live, you don't have to be very old in life before you realize that people call you names. Some of the names that you are called are complimentary, and some are not. Some of the names that you are called are accurate. And some are not. Some of the names that you are called, you know that you are being called those names. And some of them, you're not even least bit aware that other people behind your back have a special name for you. All the time I was writing this sermon, I kept thinking, Dick, I wonder what people call you. What do people call you? I'm sure many of you by this time 
or saying to yourself, I don't know, and what's more, I don't care what other people call me. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. And we do care and are affected by what other people think and say about us and don't ever deny it. Because we are people who do care and react according to the names that other people call us. That is why so many of us did not raise a biggest ruckus, bigger ruckus when our president hired that individual whose last name I probably don't pronounce right, but first name Frank Noman is Jerry, and the last name is, I think, Rathskoon or Rathsoon. And most of you have never heard of him, but he's one of the most powerful men in the American government today. And that man was hired at a rather generous salary by the president of our United States, and he will be paid out of our treasury and has the office of what the news media calls the media advisor. He's an image maker. And our president thinks it's important that he has an image so that people will call him by the right name. It counts, you see. And I don't think I've ever heard or known or read about anybody that was more bull-headed, stubborn, fools beat ahead the Apostle Paul. He probably is an individual who was as calloused as anybody that ever has been, yet even he says that what other people think and say had an effect upon him. He says it's a very small thing how other people judge me, but it's still a small thing, and a small thing is still a thing. And don't ever forget that. And though we may not like some of the sounds of the words, of the names that we are called, ladies and gentlemen, they can turn out to be a blessing. Yes, the ancient philosopher Antithenes, he has said it and I agree with him. He said it a long time ago that there are only two people. Two people who will ever tell you the truth about yourself. One is an enemy who has lost his temper, and the other is someone who loves you dearly. And those are the only two people who you can really count upon to call you by your right name and define critically and honestly your personality. Listen to them. Oh, don't spend all your time with them. Oh, no. Anybody who reacts only, only in the light of what other people are saying about him or her, that's not an individual. That's merely a reflection of what people think. That's not an individual. It's only an image. No, no. Don't let your life be controlled by what others think. But as Paul tells us, listen. It's a little thing, but it's still a thing of what other people call you. That's one name that you have. Spend a little time with it. Not too much time. 
but be sensitive to that name. If you want to save time, just quit spending effort and energy on the second name that you have, and that's the name that you call yourself. We all call ourselves names. I'll never forget, when I was in college, I read one of those self-help books. They didn't have too many of them then, not like on the market today where there's a flood of them. But I can remember reading this one book that said every morning, if you're a man, standing before the mirror, shaving, say nice things about yourself. Sixty times you were supposed to say things like, you're marvelous. <laughs> you're mighty. Top it off with a few, you're magnificent. A maker of men. I tried that for a while. And I was fantastic at it. <laughs> Until English lit class at about 10 a.m. And no matter if I'd have said it 60 times or 60 times 60. It didn't work. By 10 o'clock it had all rubbed off and I'd forgotten everything that I had said and could be intimidated simply because one individual or a teacher asked me a question which I couldn't answer. It reminded me of what I read about in the book of James, the brother of our Lord, you know, said that anybody who is merely a, a sayer of words and not a doer of words, he's like an individual who looks in a mirror, he, he sees his natural face, but as soon as he turns away from the mirror, he's forgotten all about what he looks like. Don't spend time and effort on calling yourself names. Very ineffective. Believe me, I've tried it. It doesn't work. And secondly, it's not very exciting. I'm sure all of you have spent time with somebody who is trying to project an image. And everything he says and does and the way he looks, he is trying to relay the image that he has of himself or herself. Now, if you've ever been in that kind of a situation, I guarantee you, you're either at a preacher's meeting or you're at a terribly dull gathering. Because I think of nothing worse than be, or being around a group of people who are trying to project an image. Sidney Harris, there's a man who writes and who usually can get my blood really boiling, especially he certainly likes to take to task the Christians, and anybody really has any religious persuasion. He calls himself a, a Seventh-day agnostic. But he's in the Post-Gazette every day, and I read him every day because he helps keep me honest. He writes prolifically, and it hurts, but he makes me think. And I noticed in one of his columns, Thoughts at Large, this past week, he gave as his definition of a bore as an individual who does not understand the tremendous gap that exists between his image of himself and somebody else's image of himself. That's what a bore is, and a bore is really a stranger to himself. Because 
He doesn't know himself. He sees and knows only the self he wants to be. And when you spend all of your time calling yourselves names, whatever those names are, it's a terribly boring experience for you and for everybody else. Very unexciting. And don't spend time calling yourselves names because most of the time you're inaccurate. <laughs> As you know, I, I like to play golf. I'm not much of a golfer. And I'm thrilled when some of you people with generosity and a tremendous amount of patience invite me to play golf with you. I love it. I love to get out, not very good at it, don't have time to really practice it, but I've noticed something in the last three years whenever you invite me to play golf with you. I notice that there's a new word that is being used more and more on the golf links, especially around the putting green and on the putting green and in the area where you make your approach shots. It's a short five-letter word. It is usually spoken by the person who is participating at that moment, usually after the long silence of lining up for a putt that has been missed or an approach shot that has been dubbed. The startling silence is broken by the one perpetrating that act using the name and describing himself or herself as dummy that's the word dummy and I don't want it to get out of here but I have heard some of the leaders of this community some of the makers and molders of leadership some of the presidents of the biggest companies around refer to themselves in a moment of confession as being a dummy now you're not too excited about that, neither am I, and I don't want you to be, because the simple truth is, you see, that's an inaccurate statement. Just because you goof or flub up on the golf course, in the classroom, at work, it has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence, absolutely nothing to do with comprehension on the golf course. It's nothing but lousy aim. That's what it is. Don't call it by some other name, but still, people like to refer to themselves with inaccurate names. That's why I suggest to you, as does the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, stay with him. I don't even judge myself. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. Rather, spend your time on the third name that you have, the third set of names, the names that God calls you. That's the third name you have. God calls you a name. He calls me a name. If we have confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of men, and the Lord of life, if we are part of the Christian church, God has confirmed upon you a name. Two names. Servant of Jesus Christ. Steward of the mysteries of God. That's what God calls you. That's the name that God has given to you and concentrate on it. Concentrate on that name because that is where you're going to find your true identity. Servant of Jesus Christ and 
The Greek word, therefore, servant, is not one that Paul uses in other passages when he talks about our position to Jesus Christ. He does not say servant here in the sense that we're to be a housemaid, somebody merely to clean up. He does not use the word that he uses in other letters where he says that we are to doulos, a slave, someone who is enchained and must perform. No, the word that he used here is a beautiful word. It is the Greek word which is used to describe that individual who is not on the first, the second, but rather on the third row, the lowest tier, rowing a ancient Greek or Roman battleship. When he says that we are to be servants of Jesus Christ. He is saying that we are to be an under rower, somebody who is way down there, but who is absolutely imperatively needed to be able to get the ship anywhere and to get things going. That we are one of those individuals who are to be waiting, hands outstretched, listening to the command, and when Christ, our leader, calls it, we row. When he speaks, we act. When he commands, we follow. That's a servant of Jesus Christ. You see, in Paul's day, George Westinghouse hadn't yet founded the turbine or nuclear engine. If the ship was to go anywhere, it depended upon people, upon slaves, upon under-oarsmen who didn't resent the people on the second tier or hold in contempt the people on the top tier, but who were interested down there on the third tier of just doing their job and doing it well. And then he says you were stewards of the mysteries the mysteries of God. You know what a steward is? Major Domo, <laughs> chief slave. Doesn't own the property, but has a tremendous amount of influence as to how the property is to be managed. That's what a that's what a steward is: a manager, a proprietor, a trustee, uh, someone who's in charge, money manager, <laughs> somebody who has accountability and knows it and has respect and fulfills it. That's what we are. We are supposed to be stewards of all the mysteries. In other words, the things we understand, the things that we don't understand, we're to use to the best efficiency and effectiveness possible. That means time. Use your time the best you can. Talent, treasure, not only that, but troubles. Manage them the best you can. Temptations, tragedies, troubles. Handle them the best you can, rightly dividing them, passing them around, not letting them get control of you because anybody who allows what he manages to control him is not a trustworthy steward because we are to manage them or it, not they, us. That's where to be.
and God calls you those names. God has already stamped upon you the name servant of Jesus Christ, steward of the mysteries of God. That's the name he calls us. And I don't care how you and I feel, that's still the name that God calls us. Because there's some things I want you to understand about this name that God calls you. He doesn't easily change it. He doesn't easily change it. And boy, we ought to be thankful for that. Because unless you are a female, and unless you are married, and unless you're involved in the liberation tactic today of not giving up your maiden name, but demanding it, as some married women do. It's not very easy to change your name. And if you think it is, you just ask a Western Pennsylvania what he thinks of Tony, Tony Dorset. Tony's having a horrible time trying to get that name changed. And to those of us who paid good money to watch him for four years and still think he's one of the finest football players we've ever seen in our life, it never will change. <laughs> you don't change a name easily. And God's not going to change the name that he's given to you easily. But you say, I don't feel much like a servant. I don't act much or behave much like a steward. I, I, I'm not very good taking charge of things. God still's not going to change your name. Because God still has time. God says, as Jesus, or as Paul tries to point out, God does not prejudge us. He says there's still time left, and he still believes that through our thick skins, hard heads, and tough hearts, his word's going to get through. And we're going to wake up one of these days, if we haven't already, and we're going to take seriously this thing of being a Christian. We're going to become that servant of Jesus Christ, that steward. No matter what it costs us, we're going to become that steward. And the thrilling thing from my office is that I see people in this community are making that decision every day. And though they've heard the words before, something happens in their life today. And they say, I'm going to try it. See, God doesn't easily change our names because he knows he has time on his side. And secondly, he knows our hearts. After all, he created them. Yeah, he put that little tick, 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 tick thing in you. And he's going to keep that thing tick, tick, ticking away until he has plans for you on the other side. And then he's going to stop that thing. And then he's going to move our address to our heavenly reward. But he knows that thing. And he knows what it can take. And he knows what it takes to change it. And he knows that through his word, the Bible, through words of a sermon like this, through words, his power is going to work. And though you may not feel like it now, his word is going to help you to become the servant and the steward that he already has called you to be. Remember the word. The names that not just other people call you or what you call yourself, but the names that God has called you. Remember them. Remember them. This is a day and a time when we see many of our young people going off to school, colleges, preparatory schools. 
I remember hearing once about a father and a mother who had worked very hard, sacrificed much, and were a little concerned about their young boy who was going off to the school. He'd be out of the nest for the first time. They had worked hard taking him to school, Sunday school, worked hard with him. Now they had to let him go, and they wanted to give him last, one last shotting word of advice. You parents, you know how that is. And they didn't know what to say. They didn't want to preach. They didn't want it to sound wrong. The father said, I think, one of the finest, helpful, most inspiring things that I think a parent can say to any child. He put his hand on the boy's shoulder and said, Son, just remember who you are. Who you are. Christian friends, today as I start my 19th year with you, I'm honored to be your pastor and helping one another. May it be a year when we don't call each other names, but remind each other of the names God already has called us. Amen. Father, thank you for reminding us what you think of us and the name you've already given to us. Help us not to disappoint you. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and the name that God's already given to you.